Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. On this episode of First Lady and Friends, we had the best guests. These are high school kids from Mountain Crest High School who have been a part of their unified basketball team. It was amazing. We had a really cool experience up there. They are SBOs. They are incredible leaders in their school. Um, Their names are Bracken, Stephen, and Elizabeth. This was also part of their podcast, Our Farm. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. We uh, have a really unique episode today. It's, I think, the first ever episode where we have uh, students here, um, high school students on the program today. Welcome, my friends. Bracken, Stephen, and Elizabeth, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Super excited to have you because I was just at your school. I met you just a little bit ago, and uh, we had really an incredible time. So I want you, first of all, before we get into kind of what we were doing at your school, uh, Bracken, student body president, SBOs all, um, we we want to hear a little bit about what your school is, where it is, um, and maybe a little background on each of you from like where you grew up, uh, siblings, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So we're all from um, a school called Mountain Crest High School up in Hiram, Utah in Cache Valley. Most people probably don't know where that is, but you know, that's probably all right. No, everybody knows where Cache Valley is. Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Cause you know, we talk a lot about Utah State. (laughs) Go Aggies. Go Aggies. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm our school student body president this year, um, which has been super, super interesting actually, and super fun, like all the things we get to do and, um, like it really opens your eyes to like a lot of new and different things that like you've never, you've never done before or things you've never seen. Um, but it's been good though. Like, you know, it's all for the good. Talk, Bracken, talk to me did a little bit about where you grew up. Did you grow up there in Cache Valley? Have you always lived in Hiram? And tell me a little bit about your family. So I've not actually. So I actually used to live in Magna, Utah. Okay. If you guys, you know, just yep. a little bit, like 20 minutes outside of Salt Lake or something like that. Um, and then I moved up to Hiram in in third grade and then I've been there ever since. Um, like my, my dad's from California. My mom's from Washington. So we've been, you know, we've been all over the place, but... My parents both went to school up in Cache Valley. So then when kind of jobs moved around, we just decided to move up there. And uh, it's been good. Like, I like it. You know, been there for, what is it, nine, ten years at this point. So it's home now. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely would not go back. It's like I've learned in, like, I've learned, I think I've learned a lot more in Cache Valley than I probably would have 
um, in Magna, honestly, just being able to get out more and getting more confidence in that type of thing. So, cause like the whole moving experience like teaches you, you know, to kind of get out of your shell a little bit into, you know, you got to make new friends and new experiences and, um, create a new home for yourself. So I think that was really good for me to, to branch out that way. So, and I think cash Valley kind of has a magnet effect that if you try and leave, it just pulls you back (laughs) in. So I think he's just stuck here there for the rest of his life now. (laughs) It's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We love going back. Elizabeth, talk to me a little bit about you. Did you grow up there? And, um, tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah. So I grew up in Millsville, Utah, actually. And my parents both met at Utah State, and then we actually have, I have eight siblings, and I'm the middle child, so we grew up with a big family, and I I got excited to go to high school, like, with all my older siblings' experience, and I actually started my leadership as a cheerleader at my high school for two years, and then I just kind of decided to go for exec at our school, and I had never really, I think I did eighth grade council or whatever, but I was kind of nervous because I, like... I knew pretty confidently in the cheer like that I'd be able to make it but then like this was like a whole new thing because it's like student vote and interview so it's been fun and I'm like grateful for the experience I've had and for the chance that I have been able to be on student government and for the friends that I've made this year I feel like it's like helped you branch out. But, yeah, we were glad to snatch her away from cheer and join <laughs> us. But Stephen you're kind of uh, in cheer yourself so in a way. Yeah, in a way. I think I work pretty closely with the cheerleaders because they'll do a cheer, and then as the spirit executive at Mount Crest, I'll do a cheer, and then we try and work so we can get the student section as loud and as hyped as we can to get everyone happy to be there and happy to see us playing well. And have you always lived in Cache Valley? Yeah, well, I guess um, my parents both grew up in Cache Valley. They both went to Mountain Crest, too, and they moved to California for a little bit. So when I was like a couple months old, I lived in California. And then we came right back. And then um, I have 12 siblings. Maybe I am going to. No, I have you don't 11 even siblings. You don't remember your own family? When really? there's you know, that there's many, a there's lot many to keep yeah, track of. Yeah, I, I feel you. So, yeah, there's 11 of us, and my mom's pregnant. And so she's having a new girl. We're having a new girl in November. Oh, my yeah, word. so I'm pretty excited about that. And then, um, yeah, I'm the third oldest. So I feel like I got a lot of leadership opportunities there. Because obviously I had to watch after a lot of kids. But, and then I just always loved school because sometimes it was just like, it was just like the second home because I was like, there's a lot of kids at home. There's a lot of kids at school. Like (laughs) we just, we just hang out and have a party. And so then once I got into high school, I saw, I came in as a freshman and I was like, whoa, those executives are cool. I want to be one of those. And so then when I, junior year, I was lucky enough to make it on exec. And I get to do the things I love to do. That's so. You're a junior. Well, when I was or a junior, you, when you're a junior, yeah, so, you so you did you it last it year as well. Towards the very, very end of the year. Oh, oh, you know so you when you, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. So all yeah. seniors on the executive, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. And um, okay, so we were just up at Mountain Crest, which was so cool. I loved it so much, and it's my favorite thing to do, really and truly. I do a lot of things. Um, as first lady and I have a really big um, all encompassing uh, (laughs) initiative that has many different focus areas. But the thing that really is truly my favorite thing to do is to do unified sports events. Now tell me a little bit about um, how each of you got started in unified sports and maybe some of the experiences you've had with unified sports. Um, For me, I think 
Um, that's kind of that kind of always been like something I wanted to try. Um, going into high school was like being part of like the peer tutor program and that sort of thing. And so then my junior year when I finally what had some what more, drew you to it initially? What I mean, had you had any experiences with? Um, friends that had intellectual disabilities or, you know, where was your, what, what first drew you to it? So, uh, actually in my, in my local church ward, there's actually two, um, two kids who have Down syndrome. And so who I've grown up with for, for like the whole time I've lived here. And then they actually both went to the same school and like, they're my neighbors and whatnot. And so then like working with him, cause we kind of had to learn that or for me, you know, since I was about 11 or so, he kind of, you know, moved into our group and then, um, like his mom came and talked to us and kind of like, it was all new experience for us being younger kids, Mm -hmm. um, learning how to work with people with, with disabilities and whatnot. And like, it was a super cool experience because then like over the years, um, like just how happy he gets, like, you know, when he'll say hi to me and, um, his name's Kyler, but he's super cool guy. I think, I think you might've met him uh, the other day, but, and so then, after working with him, I was like, oh, I can, you know, I kind of want to try, you know, working with other students and see, like, giving them a positive high school experience. Because one of my things is, like, a lot of people don't enjoy going to school. And, like, I can I can understand that, you know, classes maybe not be fun and whatnot. But I believe that high school really can be a place where we can have fun and enjoy, and, and enjoy yourselves. So I think I wanted to give that chance to, to other students as well. Um, so I kind of joined that program. And then I actually got the opportunity to play with the basketball team um, at a tournament at Weber State last year. And that was kind of my first um, experience sports-wise that way. And it was like, as soon as I went, it was like something I want to do like all the time. Like it was such a special experience and definitely something I'll never forget. And, you know, like it really shows you that sports are fun and like it's fun to play and it's fun to win, but that's not really what it's about, right? It's about giving everyone a good time and like giving everyone that same opportunity, which was, which is so cool to see. Cause I think there was like, I want to say like 20 plus teams there at that yep. tournament. Yep. It was so cool to see. And I think, I think you yep. were there too. Actually, I was, I do that, remember was, that. that was our show up <laughs> oh. that put it on. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, was that was one of my favorite things I think I've, I've ever done just ever. Like one of the coolest experiences you ever have just to see like, like the pure joy and excitement that they can have just, you know, doing something as simple as playing basketball. So, yeah, I loved it. Elizabeth, tell me a little bit how you got started in unified sports. Um, like I mentioned before, I um, have done cheerleading the past two years and there's the cutest little girl at our school named Sadie and she would come watch our practices and then at football games, she would come out and have little pom-poms and a skirt and she'd come like cheer with us and like she like would do kicks and everything and she she just like was so like happy and brought the brightest like spirit And so I think that, like, initially was just, like, shows that, like, any, like, we can do whatever we put our mind to. And I think it's really important that we include others because, like, they want to be a cheerleader just as much as any other girl that's always wanted to be or whatever. And then this year when we've had, like, our unified soccer, we made a little tunnel um, into our gym for all of them just from, like, all these students and like our student government and stuff and just looking at how happy it made those kids to like feel important or feel like they get just as much recognition as our regular soccer team or as our regular basketball team I like honestly I had tears in my eyes just because it like it makes you so happy and I just it's so like special to be able to be a part of that because it like it just makes you feel like you're being a good friend to those and that they actually feel important and because they are, they are very important. They're just as important to be included as 
any kid at our high school. And I think it's important that we reach out to them and make them feel like they're welcome and that they're loved just like everyone else. Love that. Steven, talk a little bit about your experience. So um, for me, I'm the, like I said, the spirit executive of the school, which means I get to lead the cheers. And so it was kind of a new experience for me when the sports started coming out for unified sports. And um, (laughs) yeah, and so we're going and like, it's sometimes hard to get people involved and wanting to cheer and being like, we do have this thing called Rowdy Right, where we try and cheer for our team and not be discriminatory towards the other team and try and be good sports. But there's not a problem like that at all in unified sports. When people are cheering, they just love seeing who's, whoever is winning. They just love seeing them go and win because it's so fun for them. And so for me, that was such a like change. It was like, oh, we can like start some cheers. And everyone was like, yeah, we can start some cheers. I'd love <laughs> to cheer. I love, they love the people out on the court and they want to see them succeed. And I thought that was super cool. Yeah. So talk a little bit, and anybody answer this, but talk a little bit about the difference you think that Unified Sports is making for the entire school. Like what kind of atmosphere are you seeing? Are you seeing some changes, um, you know, after maybe before and after you guys have your seniors. So you've been around for a few years. Um, Can you tell a difference when people are getting involved in Unified Sports and even the people that aren't like participating on the team? Are you seeing from other people in the school maybe a shift or, you know, just talk a little bit about what you're seeing? Um, I think like in our freshman year when it first kind of like started, it was kind of like an option to go watch their Unified Sports. And like I feel like the attendance wasn't super high. Maybe it wasn't well um, advertised or whatnot. But I think throughout the years, like, I mean, you were at our assembly, like, that was the most involved, I think, all of our students at any of our assemblies have ever been. Kids were standing up, kids were cheering, no matter, like Steven said, no matter what team they were on. And, like, it just makes me so happy to finally see, like, our students, like, get more involved and to, like, cheer on everyone. And, like, it didn't matter, like, whose team was winning or whatnot, they, like, were happy just to be there and to support those kids. And I think just throughout the years, as it's, like, become more, like, involved, I think we've gotten more students to come, and it made, it makes the kids feel even more special. And it's fun to see the teachers get put in their place and get beat by <laughs> Unified Sports. I loved that part. That was fun. They were they were actually really great. But so I know I've, I've talked to students over the year or so that that I've been doing this. And one thing that I hear is that there really is, especially from our SBOs, who you guys are the leaders of the school, you're really trying to, to get kids involved. You're really trying to make sure that everyone feels included. Do you, are you seeing, um, is it a struggle to get sort of feel that school spirit? Right now, as you're going through, and maybe COVID had something to do with it, and maybe people coming back and feeling like, can we really come back? Is, is Things have been so weird. How is it at your schools right now? I think for the first little bit, because um, it had like COVID kind of hit us our freshman year. Yeah. And so then when we come back our sophomore year, um, for the first little bit, it, w- it was kind of really hard to adjust that way because you felt like, like you weren't supposed to be there. You felt like you kind of had to kind of shy away from everything. Um, but then we all kind of, I think collectively as like all of us, we just realized that we can 
like enjoy ourselves and still have a good time. So I think that's actually, it's almost been a blessing in a way mm. to, to our class at least where we've seen school before it and we've seen school after it. And we know that we are here to have a good time and that it really is possible. And then because we missed so much of like our freshman year, we just realized, Oh yeah, we don't, you know, we have to savor every moment we have here before it's gone. You know, like we, like we met these people and these are, these are all our friends and, you know, we might not see them after this four years. So we have to make, you know, these times special. And it really has been a lot more involved, especially among our age and seeing that difference. So I kind of get what you mean though. Cause like when we came back from COVID, it still kind of had like the restrictions. Like we kind of had to separate a lot of our assemblies and do like, a and B assemblies to make sure that we didn't have like a certain amount of people. And also with our um, special needs kids, a lot of them didn't come back that first year because of just health reasons, you know. And so I think like once COVID kind of, and it's still a thing, not necessarily blown over, but like it's kind of died down a little bit. I think it, it's been nice to get those kids back because now all the kids our age, at least in the special needs program, like they now get a senior year that they get to be involved and so I think it's like, I think the timing for them has been perfect. And I think it like kind of made them feel like even now is like 10 times better, if not a hundred times better than when we started as freshmen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a hole in the school when they weren't there that year, especially with the masks, not seeing people's faces. So then that next year coming back and they came back and we could see their faces and they were so excited to be there. It was almost more of a blessing to us than it was for them, for uh, them to be back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that. And I think most people feel that, which is really amazing that you do. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about maybe some of the other things that go on besides, I mean, we, we do unified sports and, you know, that, that includes for at least the Utah high school activities association, they, they sanction the three sports, soccer, basketball, and track. But talk a little bit about maybe some other activities or other ways that you um, are intentionally including people with disabilities or people that maybe don't feel like they have a place to be or a sense of belonging at the school. So I think it did. It kind of starts um, with our peer tutor program. So that's so obviously athletics isn't open to um, to everyone, obviously, because not everyone knows how to play certain sports and um you know, whatever, but the peer tutor program is something that we can all sign up for. And then, um, it was really cool for me to see when I started last year, cause I was working with, with one of my friends, um, and, and like during that hour of the day, cause they still have like, you know, they try and give them as regular schedules as possible and then, you know, go to class when they can. And, um, but I was, I was really blessed to be able to, to be able to teach English and do that kind of thing. And like, we can talk about like different stories and, and different, you know, things that they've read, different things that they do. Um, but I think, I think the best is when they can join others in actual school in in actual classes, right? Like, you know, foods classes or PE classes. Um, those are the ones that I know that they enjoy the most for sure. Just getting that interaction and, and it makes, it makes them a lot more confident as well, where they can be like, Oh yes, you know, I, I can interact with others and, you know, like you can, you know, like they're making their own friends outside of, stuff they've already been in. Right. And then they get to learn these, learn the skills that otherwise that they wouldn't be able to. Um, and I think that's really cool for, for everyone to participate in and to see, cause it opens that door and opens your eyes to that, to those other situations, which you may not know about. Yeah. I like the peer tutor program too, because since they have normal, 
like we try to give them like normal schedules. Then kids who sign up, they like do it one class period a day. So then that's what six different friends that that kid gets to spend time with mm-hmm. each day, and then three trimesters. So that's eighteen different friends that they made that whole school year that they spend day to day time with. So I think it's important too because then. They kind of get involved with different kids, and some may be a girl, but then the next hour it may be a guy. So then, like, they just kind of get used to just making different friends outside of who they probably feel most comfortable with. And then, like, I know a kid at Logan named Logan at our school. Like, he'll see anyone that has helped him in the t- peer tutor program, and he's so happy to say hi to them and to see them. He gives them all hugs. Like, I really think it makes a big difference. Yeah, I think Logan, uh, I gave him a high five. He shook my hand, and I think he broke my hand. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, There's a lot of enthousiasm, yeah. enthusiasm there for sure. <laughs> it was so great. They were, they were, they were the best. Yeah. Stephen, I just let's. I want to ask this. I'm trying to figure out how to ask this, but how do you think? Those peer tutors or people that are participating in in sports or are interacting in other ways with our friends with disabilities, how do you think they've been changed? Um, I think it's just an understanding that comes from it because um, things seem to matter differently when you don't understand people that are more mentally um, challenged. Because I feel like when you're going through life, you're like, what am I wearing? Do people like the clothes I wear? Is my hair looking good? How many friends do I have? But these people, they don't care about things like that. They just want, they just have fun. They're so excited to see you. They just love you as a person, no matter what. And I think that makes it so your priorities kind of change. You're like these, and they're happy a lot of the time. And they don't, need everything that we feel like we need sometimes. And I think it's a mindset change and an understanding that comes with, I don't need all these other things to be happy. I just, it's a kindness and an enthusiasm. That's what will make you happy. Oh, I love that. I love that. Bracken, you're, you're nodding your head. You, you agree. Do you, do what kinds of things do you, you know, and, and maybe what kinds of ways do you think people have changed by being proximate to somebody that has a different ability. I think, you know, like Stephen was saying, you know, like just that mindset shift of just being kind, it makes you realize that that's something that you want as well, like deep down inside of all of us, you know, and then it becomes something you want to share with everyone else. So then I would say that for me, like personally, it's changed my friendships with people, but in a better way, whereas like you really get to learn, you know, get to know someone and learn about them and who, who they really are more than just the material things of, oh, like, I'm good at this sport or I have these shoes or these clothes, you know, kind of thing. And you really, like, you take that kindness that they share with you and you can spread it to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it just makes us, it's, it's just, just a special feeling um, to feel that, you know, mm-hmm. just the, just like pure love. Yeah, it's, you really just start to see people as people and that's all that really matters. I love that. Elizabeth, talk a little bit about how you think maybe do you do you think that can translate or does translate in your school to um, even just people that are different in other ways, you know, maybe different in uh, life experience or, you know, politically diverse or, um, you know, ethnically diverse. Or do you think those kinds of skills that that our friends with disabilities are teaching us translates in other ways as well. 
Yeah, I do. I think it's important to realize like everyone has their own things going on, whether it's a mental challenge or a physical challenge or anything. I feel like our school does pretty good at just learning how to be kind. That honestly is what it comes down to. There's a lot going on just within our own student government family of just different challenges going on in people's lives. And I think it helps you like look outside yourself and really pay close attention to like different signs people give you of just like, you know, this person really needs a friend today, or I could just give them a hug or a compliment or anything. I think the kids with a disability can, like, they help teach us to, like, look beyond ourselves and to realize, like, friendships is, like, the main thing that matters in high school, and that's what we'll take with us more than a state championship or anything like that. I really think it just comes down to those close friendships and relationships we build. Yeah, did you? Um, yeah, I, I guess I just totally agree. Um, <laughs> it's, I think I really am so happy to go to Mountain Crest cause I feel like out of any other school, we, we're just the friendliest. Maybe that's a little cocky, but I, <laughs> I don't know. You, I like that kind yeah. of cocky to be the friendliest, yeah. you know, that competition like, is, yeah. is one I would like to see every, <laughs> every day of the week. But yeah, we just walking down the hallway, seeing friends, seeing people happy to see each other. I like we don't really have too many problems at Mountain Crest of people not getting along. Like obviously there's some, but like it's not for what they they're a different skin color than me. They look differently than me. They I don't like this about them. It there's not really much of that at our school. Like you don't hear about that. There's not really fights, and I feel like the special needs program contributes a lot to that. But I feel like it's also just it's just such a good environment where we have. And so I wouldn't want to go to any other school. (laughs) I love that. That is great school spirit. Yeah, Elizabeth. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say we have a couple kids throughout the years that have also that are in our special needs program that have like been a part of our football team. And I think it just kind of shows like whether you're a big jock in high school, like those kids still are kind and like inclusive to those people and they make them feel just as important as the star quarterback. And I think honestly Mountain Crest does a good job because it our stereotypes, like yeah, there's still some true factors about some of them, but I still feel like altogether we're on the same level as far as unity and I feel like we do pretty a pretty good job at that. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. I want to, this maybe is just a little bit of shift in in subject, but um, I do want to talk about um, mental health. 
Um, I know that, um, you know, we, we all see the statistics. We all know people in our lives. If it's not ourselves, you know, it's certainly somebody we know that is, has mental health challenges. Talk a little bit about maybe what you think are, what is the problem? Um, and why you think that is that, that so many people struggle with mental health challenges and then maybe what you see as as solutions to that problem. Um, so for me, I've kind of had some of those experiences with um, like mental health struggles and stuff, as I'm sure we all have. Um, but I had a really good opportunity back when I was in middle school um, to be a part of my school's Hope Squad. And so that was a good basis for me to kind of learn about those kind of things and that it is okay to talk about those kind of things. But at the same time, it's okay to feel that way, right? It's not anything you've done wrong. It's not something fundamentally wrong with you. You know, like it's okay that way, right? And so helping people see that is a big thing for me. So when I talk to my friends or if someone's having a bad day, um, it's not always the most important thing to know what's going on. And I mean, I'm sure they can help in, you know, in certain situations, but that's not the fundamental need that, that we all want, right? Because it's not always, we don't want someone to fix our problem, right? We just want someone to hear it and just to be there for us, right? Mm-hmm. To just, to give us, to give us a hug, to pick us up when we're down, um, just to be that friend in our lives. Right. And it just starts with, with being kind. Like for me, the biggest thing that kind of I've seen, um, especially for high school is just feeling alone. And so just being there being that friend and, you know, even if you don't know the person that well, like, like even before like student government stuff, like I didn't know Elizabeth the best. Right. Um, but just throughout this time, like we've been able to talk and just learn about each other and, and just be there. Right. You know, and that's such a special feeling that, that I get to have as, as a student leader is I get to interact with a lot of people and just smile, you know, like that's, that's really the biggest thing is like, if you can just give someone a smile, you know, nine times out of 10, they'll probably smile back at you. So, and it means a lot more than we could ever think, you know? Yeah. So basically what he's saying is if you ever need a hug. Drive up to Mountain Crest and he's got you. <laughs> He'll be there. We all Perfect. got you. Yeah. Um, I think it's important that we show empathy and not sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit. I think, you know, some people know the difference. Yeah. Um, so I feel like sympathy is more of just like you don't truly. And I don't know if we all can really understand every situation. But I think it's more of like, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Or I'm sorry that you're going through this. But instead of j- just be more of like there for them and just like helping them realize that like the emotions they're feeling are normal. We're all human. We all feel, we've all felt like every emotion I feel like. And so I think it's more important to just like be real with them and not just like a fake, like sympathy, I guess. And I think that makes a huge difference too, because it, it really makes people feel like they have someone and that they're loved and that they're not alone in this situation. And yeah. So what you're saying kind of is like sympathy is like a feeling but empathy is like an action you take mm. yeah like an I, understanding see, almost, i learned know. something yeah <laughs> yeah i think uh is one of my favorite authors podcaster um speaker Brene brown she talks a lot about empathy and and the difference between empathy and sympathy and um the way she describes it is um you know if you're if somebody's down in a pit you know obviously you know, metaphorically, they're in a pit feeling alone and and having a, a problem. Sympathy is standing up at the top of the pit and saying, 
hey, you okay up there? You know, you okay down there? <laughs> and then walking off and empathy is climbing down in the pit with that person and helping them get out. So I think that to me, that's always such a good you know, visual of, of the difference between those two things. And, and learning that at this age is so critical. Um, you guys are going to be significantly better humans, first of all. And second of all, you're going to be really a lot better uh, leaders. You'll be a lot better employees or employers. Um, you'll you'll have an understanding of your families. Um, it's, it's just really these are critical skills to learn at this time. And I, and I love that you're that you get it. <laughs> what else, Stephen, do you think would help address some of the mental health challenges that you see people facing? Um, I really do think the biggest one is just a friend. But I also feel like when you're having these like struggles, reaching out is so important because sometimes it's hard. I know for me, I can't reach out to everyone. I can extend myself to like, I think this person's having a bad day and I think this is what they need. But if you're just willing to like reach out and get a little bit vulnerable, Mm -hmm. then I can be like, oh, I can help you. Or, hey, we have some great counselors at Mount Crest. They can help you. And then you can bring, give them the help they need. But if you just kind of bottle it up and just push it down and say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then you kind of get to this point where it's like, well, now I have all this whatever going on and you're. And that's super, that can be super hard to deal with. Yeah. So um, just tell someone, tell someone you care about. And I know, I'm sure you have counselors at your school or there's therapists, there's people that can help you and care if you just reach out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so this just reminds me of, of a quote I heard one time, actually. Um, and it says, scars remind us where we've been and they don't have to dictate where we're going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the stipulation a lot of time is that like, if you have these struggles, then that's like, that's who you are like for the rest of your life. Right. But it's, you know, like you said, like you can climb out of that hole. You can, you can bounce back. Right. Like, and if, and if you reach out and talk to someone, you know, you may have had things that you've gone through. Um, but that only just makes you a better person if you choose to use that as a learning experience and, um, and just use that to help someone else. Cause for me, that's what kind of helps a lot. If I'm kind of struggling or having a bad day is as soon as I go in and help someone else, you know, it, it kind of helps you feel better about yourself too. And say like, Hey, you know, just, I've done a good thing today. Right. And that's something that you can latch onto and, and use, you know, as fuel for yourself if you need it. Right. And so if you've had these things that you've been through and, you know, they may not go away completely, but that's okay. Right. Um, but that's just not, that's not who you are. Right. It's, you can, you can, you can climb out of that hole. You can, you can be better. It's just, you know, it just takes time, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like when I kind of am struggling like with some mental things, kind of reaching outside myself also brings myself back up. Like if you notice someone needs help with something or you see someone else down and you feel like you can help them, I honestly feel like it helps you feel better. And like I honestly am not as sad or whatever I am that day because like I realized I helped someone else and then maybe it encouraged them to go help someone else after. Like I honestly feel like it has a domino effect most of the time that I've I think it's important to realize like we all have our struggles, but everyone has their struggles. So go outside of yourself too, and it will make a big difference for your own life. Yeah. I think I'm going to switch my answer to their answer. <laughs> no, no, they're all I, really important. I 100% agree. I think when you, when you're focused so much on yourself, obviously there's things going on with your life, but if you're only focused on yourself, 
you'll never move past any of it. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, as again, a part of our show up initiative is really service. That's mm-hmm. another one of our big focus areas. And we're starting to see, um, and I, I don't know if we're just starting to see it or if I'm just seeing it myself right now because I'm in it, but there is a lot of research and data around this concept. I mean, we all know it intuitively because we've we've experienced it when we do get outside of ourselves. We do look out and start serving other people. We do. It helps us. And and what we're seeing in the data, in the research, is in the brain science. It truly does heal a lot of those mental health struggles. You know, and I'm not saying that's that's it's a big tool in the toolbox to address mental health issues. Um, it's not the only one. And I don't want people to misunderstand that, you know, getting help or if you need medication or, you know, therapy and all these other things, that's those are also really important tools. But one big tool is service is just what you're saying, getting outside of yourself, looking for people that need you and helping. I, I heard a a parent one time say, I stopped asking my kid when they came home from school, you know, what did they learn or, you know, what did they do? They started asking, who did you help? And I've started to do that with my daughter who's 16 and I thought, or will be 16 next month. But she, I thought, you know, that's just to even get, you know, if your parents ask you that every day, like at first you're probably like, I don't know. I don't know. You're like trying to think. And then pretty soon you might be looking for those opportunities each day because, you know, you're going to get asked that and you you want to be ready. (laughs) So I I love that. I have one more question. Talk to me about what you wish. And and you guys are seniors, so I hate to use the word adults because you're my kid, my 18 year old always say I'm practically an adult, but you you are adults. But what would you what would you say to the maybe I'll use the leaders in your life or the leaders that you see in the state and in the country? What do you wish they knew about you and your experience? I think sometimes they just look at what they want and then they decide that's what we want. Mm. But I feel like for us, we see kind of the smaller picture, you know, because we're not so high up. So we're not looking for everyone's like problems and trying to lump them all together. We see all the little things. And I feel like sometimes because of that, they're not able to help people out with the little things. And so um, I guess for me, I'd just say, try and understand who you're helping. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I feel, I I agree with Steven and I feel like it is so um, situation based and like you can't, you can't judge based off one picture. So, I mean, you can look at like all these stats and everything and no, I'm not saying those aren't helpful. Um, but that also doesn't show everyone, right? Like even something as simple as, as the sun, right? Cause for me, like if it's rainy, well then my mood is already a little bit darker. Cause that's, you know, that's not my favorite type of weather, but as soon as it becomes sunny and you know, that kind of thing, like that's something that makes me like really happy. Right. And so it has to be those little things and those things that you don't notice as much. Right. And then, it's, it's just so person by person. And if like, if there was just one big thing we could do to make everyone you know happy, I wish we could do it, but it's not, it's different for every person. And I feel like that's where that understanding comes in of, of meeting people and, and having that empathy and, and seeing what their challenges are, you know? Yeah. I love that. Elizabeth, (laughs) 
What do you wish? What do you wish people knew? What do you wish um, adults or leaders knew about your experiences? Um, I don't know. I think it's hard because everyone has different experiences, but I think it's important to realize that too. Mm-hmm. Of just like the different backgrounds that everyone comes from. And that, like, one, some things are super important to certain people, but then other people, they have totally different priorities. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like yeah. it's just hard. It's a hard question because I feel like it's so different based off of everyone's backgrounds and their experience. I said that was my last question, but I actually have one more. I want to ask about social media. I know, we're again, we're seeing a lot of research around the dangers of mental health connections with social media. Tell me about your experiences with social media, good and bad. If, if you, if you would, yeah, if you would say like, you know, what your solutions are too. I mean, is there like holding social media companies accountable or, you know, what, what's your experience with social media? Okay. So, well, I'm almost 18, but I actually don't have a cell phone. So I... That's amazing. <laughs> the producer like a, not, a, not a cell phone at all. No. Like, okay, so no. how is so it that I, you communicate with people? Um, Through my, like, I don't know. I just have to kind of plan ahead of time. Okay. Uh, old-fashioned way. But I think... I, I, I get like that. So, I was there. It's so hard, though, because, like, everyone talks about social media, and we'll have, like, lessons about them during class. I'm like, oh, great, it's another one of these lessons I can't apply to. But I feel like with, like, not having it, I feel like it, like, helps me be a little bit more, like, socially well-rounded because I feel like I'm not, like, constantly either scrolling through social media or, like, comparing myself because, like, I don't have that resource to. And I do think there are, like, good sides to it, obviously, like, uplifting things that you can post or whatnot. But honestly, I wish that, like, people could just, like eliminate their time and either or like what they're looking at because so you probably have like significantly more time than everybody else <laughs> yeah i mean like i have no other excuse than to like actually be good standing because i don't have i mean i may as well do my homework <laughs> but <laughs> i think i don't know i think it's just like weird and it's a, like a shock to people when they're like you don't have a phone i'm like no and you know that's not normal but I do, I do think it's made a big difference, and I think it's, like, helped me become the leader I am today because, like, I'm not glued to my phone. Because you're actually I, talking yeah, to I'm people. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, present in conversations, and, like, at the lunch table, I'm not just on my phone, like, not paying attention that my friend next to me is actually acting really sad, you know? And I think, mm-hmm. honestly, the best would just, like, eliminate the time because whether you're looking at positive or negative, like, there's nothing better than a real human interaction, And I think with COVID, like, people were lucky because they did have their phones. But, like, when I came back to school, I was so happy to see people because I was finally back, like Steven said earlier, like, our second home. Like, all my friends are, like, my second family. So I think it's, like, I don't know. I think just eliminating the time kind of, like, helps you be able to talk and, like, make those connections that honestly is what high school should be all about and what we should take away from it. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued. We have a true unicorn sitting here, and I am totally intrigued. I'm dying. This is amazing. Well, yeah. I was going oh, to say I was kind of jealous, not that I'm getting rid of my phone because I am addicted, <laughs> but, like, I got my phone when I was 16, 4.0, gone. It was just like literally that try. I was like, well, I have a phone now. Who cares about grades? <laughs> those wow. are overrated. So, yeah, I'm not getting rid of my phone. But but, so, but do you have social media on your phone? No. I you can't, don't. I guess if YouTube counts, I spend way too much time okay, on YouTube. Okay, okay. No, I, but, no, that's... 
I, I'm fascinated by this because I feel like I was like the meanest mom on the planet because I've my my sons have you know had it because you know we were dumb and it was early on when it they, it was first a thing and so I didn't know enough about it to really understand the the dangers of social media I mean I did a Anyway, we we would go back and forth. My son would put on Snapchat. I would delete it. He'd put it on. I'd delete it. And then pretty soon it was like a random drug test where I would just like check his stuff. And then like if there was anything, which there never was, but if there was anything like bad, I would, you know, certainly we would have had it out. But like my daughter, who he said is almost 16, like I haven't let her have any social media and for that reason, I just I know more, and and I do know that for girls especially, yeah. it's it's more dangerous as far as when we talk about anxiety and depression, it really is more dangerous. The more time you spend on it, um, it really does lead to mental health issues. I think the hard thing about social media is that it helps people hide behind mm-hmm. their phone or their account or whatever. And that's why, like, I've been so grateful. And I've obviously, like, I've had my times that I'm like, I just wish I had a phone so I communicate better. But I think it's, like, really helped me to be more aware and just, like, I don't I don't feel like I have, like, some of the same struggles that a lot of girls my age do just from the comparisons or from the predators on social media mm-hmm. or anything. Like, I just think it's, like, honestly been a huge blessing and when I do finally get a phone at graduation, then, like, I feel like I'll be able to, like, kind of be more aware of those dangers because I'll be more mature. Yeah. Because kids are getting phones way younger and younger now. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I want to be an elementary school teacher, and I'm like, I want to teach, like, really young so I don't have to deal with it. But I'm like, who knows? Maybe when I'm finally one, then, like, kindergartners will start having phones. Like, you literally. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I think it's, like, you just have to watch yourself and, like, honestly, what's your purpose behind it? Because mm-hmm. if it's if you can't even say what your purpose is and it's more of just a time waster then like, yeah. or is that really what you should be wasting your time? Yeah. With? And what are we replacing? You know, what are, what are we replacing those social interactions with? And it's with social, with, it's not actual people interactions. Mm-hmm. That's what I find interesting after like getting to know like both you better and stuff. And cause I, cause I'm the only one out of, you know, the three of us that actually has, you know, Instagram and stuff. And, <laughs> Um, which I thought was, you know, so weird because obviously like that's just what you're taught. Like everyone has it. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. And, um, like it's, you know, opened my eyes to see that, oh yeah, you know, I don't need this as much as I think I do. And, um, but I do like to point out the positives too, cause that's mainly, you know, I'm not trying to sound self-righteous or, you know, like <laughs> the best, but like, you know, cause I, you know, I've still wasted plenty of time. Um, but for me, that's like, cause I love sports. Right. And so if you go onto my Instagram right now. And you scroll, you know, for whatever, it's just purely like just basketball and stuff. Right. And so that's what I think is nice that it does allow you, um, like it is a news feed, but you can find things on there that are positive. And from, from like a student leadership perspective, like one of my big pushes this year was using Instagram more to, mm-hmm. to let people know about things and to just, you know, to get stuff out there. Right. And yeah. cause that was always helpful for me when I was younger was, Oh, you know, I see it on Instagram because I don't often, you know, check the school calendar because that's not what I was, you know, I didn't know where to find it and whatnot. And, but now, like if you see it on Instagram, it's bound to get more people to come, right? So then you are using it as a tool to, 
to get people to different things. Right. And, and then once they're there, well, then you can have that human interaction. Then you can have, then you can meet new friends. You can, you know, yada, yada. Um, but I think, you know, there always is that positive of just, so basically what you're saying is using Instagram to get people off of Instagram to come to things. Yes, it's, it's, it sounds <laughs> yes. so ironic, but, you know, like, we'll put on there, oh, you know, there's a football game, right? But then as soon as they're there, then I want to be that person that says, hey, you know, well, now we're here. Now let's hang out. Let's have a good time. Yeah. Let's enjoy the event, right? And I think that's something that kind of does get overshadowed by all the negatives. Like, yeah. I'm not saying there's no negatives because yeah. there is a lot. But if, you know. But the reality is people mm-hmm. have it. Yeah. So, yeah. So we might as well use it to try and do something good, right? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's, it's such a hard balance, obviously, yeah. because of everything that's, you know, that goes on and, but it's something, you know, something we practice and. Yeah. I, I will say that there is this, so I, and I've said it probably on this podcast before, but um talking to the president of univer- the University of Utah, President Randall, he said to me that students, 18 year olds, freshmen coming in, 18, 19 year old kids that are coming in as freshmen now to the universities um, have 15,000, probably with the exception of Elizabeth, (laughs) 15,000 fewer social interactions than say like I did. Wow. That's about three years. So basically I'll be successful. Yes, (laughs) exactly. It's about three years worth of social interactions. Which means that 18-year-olds or incoming freshmen are really have the social maturity of a 15-year-old, which is causing, you know, can you can imagine, so a 15-year-old going to college, trying to live on their own, trying to, you know, figure out how to, how to go to school, to all your classes, work or whatever, you know, I always worked, um, you know, feed yourself, all the things that, that you're supposed to do. To be successful in your in your university experience, just imagine trying to do that at a fifteen year old as a fifteen year old. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> no, well, no. I was gonna say that I have the maturity of a twelve year old, but I don't even have Instagram, so I don't know how that one happened. No, that's actually so true because all my older siblings, my four older siblings, they went through high school without a phone too, just like I did. And even like when my older brother was in high school, it was weird. But like now that I am, then it's like even more weird because yeah. it's just getting more and more popular. But um, my older sister, when she went to college, she was only um, 18, almost 19. And she actually caught the attention of my older brother's roommate, who was like five years older than her. Because he thought she was so mature. And then when he found out her age, she was like, really? And so I honestly, I think you're right. Because I'm just like, and they ended up getting married. And I was like, that's so true. Because like, he thought she was way more mature just because we haven't had that. Like, we've had the social interaction that you say that other kids have been yeah. missing out on. So yeah. I totally believe you on okay. that whole thing. Yeah. So like, so as obviously none of us are parents, but like as a parent, what does that do for you like how does that like change your approach to to parenting and then kind of like and obviously we're in your position like you know you share lots of things with lots of people so how do you how do you go about your attitude then of of sharing that yeah that's that's such a great question and um we're gonna do that when we come right back because in this next segment you guys are going to interview me so i will answer that question when we come right back so from a parent's perspective how do you go about navigating social media and 
teaching your kids and like, you know, what do you allow? What do you don't like? How do you how do you go about that from a parent's perspective in this in this world? Yeah. So let's yeah, let's get back into this. This is a question you asked before we went into break. And um, it it's and like I said before, it's really hard because I my my oldest is almost 24 and my baby is 15. So in those years, that's really when things changed. So when my oldest was in, you know, I, I think like, like you reckon, like when he was in eighth grade, I think that's when we got him a phone and it was because he was doing, you know, basketball and he was playing sports. And so, you know, after school and arranging rides and that kind of thing. And he originally did just have a phone that was just basically texting and calling kind of thing. And there were, there was no internet on it or, you know, social media or anything like that. And then I think it was probably, uh, he'd, he'd remember, but maybe sophomore, junior year when, when he got social media. And that really was kind of early on in the advent of, you know, people having social media on their phones. I think before it was a little bit of Facebook on the computer kind of thing, but you know, this was really when Instagram started to be a thing, Snapchat started to be a thing, Twitter started to be a thing. And so that was kind of, it was all brand new and I didn't have a lot of information around it. And so it really kind of was a free for all. I didn't, I mean, obviously I checked his phone every night. There was no, the way I navigated it was he was, they were not allowed to have phones in their bedrooms ever. Um, they had to be plugged in at night in the kitchen every night. Um, and at that time I would go through as a parent, like I would start going through their stuff and they know it. I'll go through your texts. I go through your, you know, your newsfeed. And I remember with my oldest, cause there just weren't a lot of parental controls either when it, you know, when it came to like the time amounts that you can do now with iPhones and stuff like that, that you can put in these restrictions that they didn't really oh, have yes, that the bane of my existence yeah. <laughs> time <laughs> limit on YouTube. Exactly. Like now you can do that. You, that wasn't really a thing before. And so I would go through and I remember I would go through his Twitter account at night. And if anybody in his news feed that he was following or that somebody retweeted or whatever, I would go through and, just block people that it was kind of like a one strike rule. Nice. Like if you said anything inappropriate, if you, if you, you know, mean to my child, I use will block any you. swears. It was mostly that kind of thing. Cause it was like people retweeting the things they thought were funny or whatever. So I just go through and just start blocking people on his Twitter that he didn't know. No, he'll know now if he listens. Yeah. So he's a, you know, almost ready to graduate from college now so i can't do that anymore but better late than never right but yeah you know? but yeah and so that's and then as i as i started to learn more especially in this last couple of years when i've started to look at the data around girls and my daughter my youngest she's my only daughter and i really started to, she was in that time and what we're seeing really is is a real connection between especially girls that get a phone in that sort of 12, 13 year old, 11, 12, 13 year old age, that's really dangerous. The social media at that time, because their brains are still developing, because their emotions are still all over the place, it's really dangerous uh, for girls because they start to internalize some of the stuff they're seeing on social media. 
uh, Instagram specifically, I think for girls is probably the worst. And so I just made a, an executive decision and said, we're not, we're just not doing social media with her. She's just, and you know, there was a lot of pushback. Yeah. Um, she, you know, that's not fair. You know, my brother's got to have it. And I said, I know, and I know it's not fair. And if, when I know better, I do better. So that's kind of my way I do it as a parent. Right, right. Oh, very sage advice for all of us <laughs> up and coming parents, I guess. So. All right, yeah. So that is the um. We want to, want to welcome you all back to our farm. I'm Bracken Hertzler with my co-host here, Stephen Hello. Hatfield, and we are with a very special guest today. Um, we have First Lady Cox. Um, this will be the second half of a dual podcast. So if you guys want to hear the first yeah. half and where that conversation came from, um, go check hers out on First Lady and Friends. Yeah, and the friends are taking over. Now we That's get to right. interview her. <laughs> right. so, friends are on. The turns, As friends. The turns have tabled. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to, we're going to get to know Lady Cox a little bit better. You can call me Abby. Abby, we're going to get to know Abby better. All right. See, so, first fun fact, her name is Abby. See, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite food? Ooh, my favorite food. Lately, uh, we have this new restaurant that we love here in Salt Lake. It's called Sarah Thai Kitchen. And basically anything that the amazing chef brings out. He has. He was a, a chef at Tao in Vegas. So one of the big restaurants there decided that he wanted to come up here and raise his kids in Salt Lake. And so they opened this little Thai place in downtown Salt Lake that's kind of kind of in the sketchy part of town, but it's just like <laughs> super great. And so Thai food is probably one of my favorite things to eat. That's awesome. Usually we get Olive Garden pasta is the answer. <laughs> that's, so that's this was a little I, bit fancier. I'm a foodie. Yeah. I, like yeah. real, I like to try new things. When we travel, like... We eat street food. We eat. I mean, we'll, we were just we we just did a trade mission to Israel and Dubai. Wow. We tried all kinds of things, and I love new experiences with food. Well, that's great. All right, favorite movie. Um, like the movie that I go to when I, you know, like I'm just home in a mood or if I am sick and just need to curl up and not go anywhere because it's a good long one. But the the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> so it's like the so cool. 1995 version My- and it's like six plus hours. <laughs> My extended family is so into that movie. <gasps> okay, Austin. not to make this about myself, but I kind of <laughs> like myself a little bit. Have you seen the Scarlet Pimpernel, the yes. old one, that so that great. is also the other favorite in my family. Sink I me. haven't seen Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> but yeah, Scarlet Pimpernel, all time favorite movie. You so. and Scarlet Pimpernel, one. I swear, I love this. It's a great Pimpernel. one. It's a great it one. really is. How do you yeah. just so, sit there for six so hours? Like we just connected there. Yeah, it, I I break it up sometimes, but oh, yeah, man. it's I love it so much, and the book is equally delightful, and <laughs> as is any Jane Austen. Yeah, understandable. Makes sense. <laughs> well, awesome. All right. Who's your favorite music artist? Mm. Well, so I'm a sort of late 80s, 90s kind of kid. And so, you know, any hair band, any, you know, <laughs> like 
Metallica, Let's Little Poison, go. those Rock kinds on. of things. Rock like, on. That totally is so cool. Totally love a good, you know, like monster ballad. But that is awesome. I, I also, my, you know, I, my daughter, she introduces me to all kinds of new, exciting music, which I like. Of course, she just is going crazy over the new Taylor Swift. Oh, She's loving oh, yeah. that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> she loves, I'm trying to think, we as a family, we love, love, love the Killers. And killers is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Did they write Mr. Brightside? Yes. Yeah, those, yeah. I love that band. Yeah. Um, fun fact, we just met Brandon Flowers. Family came over for dinner no at the mansion. No so way. So we're still no feeling way. all these happy vibes about the Killers as well. Brandon <laughs> yeah, you is have a, to just keep walking. Brandon's a keep really cool guy and just really super humble and sweet. Wow. So cool. That's sweet. <laughs> wow, all right. No way. <laughs> All right, so, I mean, you know, you've met cool people, like, you know, from the Killers and stuff, so then what's your dream vacation? Ooh, dream vacation, I how, think. How extravagant does that get? Well, so, we kind of had it already. Well, there's been a couple that I have, have loved. Um, one, the the last one we did, my my second son was called to Tahiti on his LDS mission, and he was only there for about six months until COVID hit, and he had mm. to come home because of COVID, which is still like really really sad Mm -hmm. so after covid subsided a bit and tahiti kind of opened back up and my son was had just finished his mission he was reassigned to farming to new mexico he had just gotten home from there and things were better with covid and they were allowing tourists back into tahiti so we actually took him and our other kids and went to tahiti which is so dreamy it is so cool Probably wouldn't have done it otherwise, but because we just felt like our son needed that like <laughs> full circle moment. Right. And of course, it's Tahiti, so you do it. And the other, my other favorite, one of my favorite places that we've gone is um, Costa Rica. Such a sneaky, cool place. Very diverse. You got cloud forests and rainforests and beaches and just really incredible farmland. And it's jungle and it's it's really cool. All right. Well, I must have to add it to the list then. <laughs> yeah. For real. All right. Um, so I think me and Bracken are just going to switch off asking questions, but I want to ask the last most important question <laughs> of all of them. Yeah. So what is your perfect day like? Uh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I think the perfect day is really, you know, one of those days right now where my kids happen to be all home because now they're in, they're a little spread out. Um, they're all three of the boys are in uh, Cedar City at SUU. One's about to graduate, the other's just started. My daughter's busy with orchestra and tennis and doing things. And so I guess to me, is the perfect day is one of those days that um, Elizabeth plays tennis, I see. <laughs> um, one of those days when the kids are all home and they're getting along and important yes <laughs> and they are making each other laugh um and i we're a very sarcastic family and so <laughs> when they are just cracking each other up laughing about you know whatever they saw on you know usually you know like a john mulaney skit or something where they're just <laughs> laughing and it's that's that's the perfect day and then you all watch Pride and Prejudice. Exactly. Well, See? I do. They all leave when I do that. 
Awesome. All right. All right. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who and why? Three. Except okay. for you can't say us three because yes. I know that's your answer. <laughs> but yeah. like that, that'd be a little that, bit. I know. Boring. Okay. Yeah. Besides you three. Besides us. Yeah, of okay. Course. Besides you three. Uh, number one has to be Abigail Adams. She was the Great first choice. lady of the country. And she was the, to, married to the second president, John Adams. She was really instrumental in the Revolutionary War, as was her husband. And we have a lot of records about the Revolutionary War and the things that went on during the uh, Continental Congress and on the founding of our country because of her. She wrote letters to her husband. There were many, many times, many years that they weren't together because of the his work in the Continental Congress as well as um, being an ambassador, um, one of the very first ambassadors going to England and France. So she was um, my – I was born – this will tell you how old I am if you can do math. It's really easy. Um, I was born in 1976, which was a bicentennial – um, nice year, and so my mom named me Abigail after Abigail Adams. So she's definitely one. Nice. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, I think, is one of those people that I really look up to. That I think just is an incredible leader. So I would love to sit down with her, as well as probably. I I don't I don't know why I'm thinking political right now, but. Probably um, Laura Bush. Laura Bush or Michelle Obama. Maybe both. Maybe we'll have tea together. Maybe we'll just yeah. have a look. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Former Flotuses. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a fun dinner, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you mean you already have a job and stuff, but so usually, you know, we talk to students, but... So when you were young, you know, when you were a kid going through high school, what did you want to be when you grew up and, you know, finish college and stuff and whatever? You know, I, I know my kids have asked me this before. And the truth is, I'm not sure I knew when I was real little what I wanted to be. Um, I grew up on a ranch. Um, so I spent a lot of time um, farming and ranching. I knew that's not what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, but also my my grandmother was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. And my experiences with my friends who had different abilities, who happened to have Down syndrome, really inspired me. And so I knew I wanted to do something there. And when I got to college, I realized, like, I wanted to be a special education teacher. So that's what I did. Nice. All right. Introvert or extrovert? Probably extrovert. Yeah, I know yeah. there's like a like a spectrum, um, but I really enjoy people. Um, I don't love like big groups. I and this is completely opposite of my husband. People find this interesting. My my husband actually is kind of introverted in a weird way. Like in small groups, he hates like little social situations and things like that. But put him in front of. 2000 people on a stage and like that's where he gets all his energy and I'm the complete opposite like I would much rather have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation I would love I much prefer to just visit with people learn about people be in these small groups chit-chatting with people 
having conversations, having deep conversations than like be in front of people. So I don't know what that makes me, but I think extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. We're all extrovert. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite hobby? Um, I would have to say there's, there's two favorite. Well, yeah. That is not allowed. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, Can I'm I, just kidding. maybe I'll combine them. No, just kidding. Like horses on skis. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. I actually, <laughs> that would go super would, well. Would, what could go wrong? <laughs> I love being on a horse. I love horseback riding. I grew up riding horses. My, one of my favorite things to do is go home to Fairview and uh, meet up with my sisters and just ride up in the mountains. Um, and then I would definitely say skiing is another hobby that I love cross country as well as downhill. Nice. Have you been up to Beaver Mountain at all? I have. Yes, indeedy. Do you like it? I do. It's, it's so much less chaotic. Um, the last time I went there, it was a little kind of spring skiing. So it was a little slush, but so it wasn't like super great snow and it's been a long time since it's probably been maybe four years since I've been up there. Well, is the closest one to here snowbird? Um, Brighton. Brighton. Oh, I mean, no. they're I all those is, are but... up the same canyon, but Brighton's cheaper. Oh, so makes I go. To, sense. But sense. I know. But I'm really good buddies with the with the guy at Snowboard, and they did a um, fundraiser for Show Up last year. So I did get to take the tram all the way to the top and ride down Snowbird, which is super steep. So I was a little nervous. I'm wow. a mom, so I'm wow. like a cautious yeah. skier. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is kind of random, but so for my family. Um, there's a lot of us. My Thatcher side went up to Snowbird for a family reunion. And as we went up there, they were having the national beard competition Oh, at the same time. So <laughs> you know? I saw the craziest beards ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, we were just walking through and I was like, mom, everyone here has a we beard. We forgot to grow then, our beards. <laughs> Didn't we tell you the yeah. reunion? That was the thing. Yeah. You didn't and get the memo? Were, yeah, guess not. Oh, well, they were all dressed up like pirates and they had put just... <laughs> Their beards were all spiky and like they were, they went 100% with their beard growing. It was crazy. Oh, that's so I good. got to watch the national beard competition while we hang, we hung out at Snowbird. Oh yeah, of course. Sweet. So what, that just what, topped off as, the family As you reunion. do. What better way to spend your time, of course. <laughs> okay. Last, most important question. This is the one question where there are wrong answers. <laughs> okay. So. I'm nervous now. Yeah. Just let the suspense build. Celebrity crush. Oh, oh, and there's no wrong answer, or there's no right answers. Wait, there's no, only one right answer. There's well, there can be multiple right answers, there's no, but there's there just is more wrong answers. He's kidding. Just answer who you want. <laughs> now I'm all nervous. <laughs> Celebrity crush. Oh gosh, I'll panic. My my daughter will be like, "Mom, what's wrong with you? I know hers, Sebastian Stan." That's yep. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, I get that. Um, it's it's probably got to be uh oh shoot I forgot his name Thor oh, oh Chris Hemsworth, Hemsworth. yes ah. one of the Chris's I yeah, forget which one all all the Chris's are great yeah of course yeah. right but right. probably I gotta go with Thor I was I was like not to be too vain or you know a terrible person but so Stephen was that a right answer. <laughs> That was is it? a right answer. Oh, good. Oh, good. That was one of the right passed. answers. Good. I was just going to say, like, when he, which one was it when he was like Fat Thor? And I was like, ah. It was funny like, for no like two seconds. And then after a while, you're like, then you just get sick. You're sad. like, no, yeah. no, <laughs> like, come on, come back. Yeah. But Ragnarok, phenomenal it's, movie. Ragnarok is so incredible. I probably should have said that one too uh, of, my, of my favorites. I will say anything that Taika Waititi does. 
like Hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People, so good, so funny, and Jojo Rabbit. Got to be on the you know top ten for sure. Definitely one one of the better directors of our day. That's yes. for sure. I think Ragnarok was actually the first Marvel movie I watched. Really, it's yeah. a good one. Yeah, How no. is it's that probably the, the only Marvel movie I that I like really really like. I mean, my, I go and I see them because my kids love them all. Yeah. But I like but that's just the one. Was actually like a good movie. Yeah, which sometimes it's not all about watching people with muscles fight. No, sometimes, <laughs> but just sometimes. Like, not sometimes, all the time. Yeah, right, sometimes course, I yes. enjoy that. But there, but. but it was funny. That to me, it was it was yeah, like it was funny, entertaining. It wasn't like all serious. It was right. a good intro to Marvel for me. Perfect. Yeah. But really, my true passion lies with Lego Ninjago. That's I pretty great too. But I think show. Lego Batman is Lego Batman. Like, Batman's really good. good. I don't know. I just Lego Ninjago. Just to everyone out there, if you haven't seen it. You'll probably not enjoy it because it's, it's so <laughs> he's, cheesy. He's oversold I'm re-watching it. He's them right now, it. and I'm like, shameless oh, plug. This is horrible, and I love it. So, <laughs> yeah. well, that's how most, you know, you look back on any show you watch as a kid, and you're like, why did I enjoy this as a kid? Well, like, Tom and Jerry still is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's true. That's, that's like my age. Yeah, you know, that's like the the OG. There's <laughs> always the timeless classics, you know. All right, so now. Now we now we know you a little bit better, you know, your celebrity crushes, you know, the most important part, right? Yes. Um, so now let's just move on, you know, just get to know you a little more like, so kind of like, just kind of your story, right? So how did you, you know, get to where you are from, you know, like you said, just being on a ranch and now, you know, the first lady of Utah. So like, how do you get from A to B, you know, you know, if, yeah. if you know what I mean? You marry the governor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, I'm easy. Totally yeah, okay, I got this. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I, uh, it's definitely a team effort. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I relate to Stephen because I had, I grew up on a ranch. I also had um, nine siblings, so I'm I'm number five of ten, right. right in the middle. So Stephen, you know, like you have to make a big splash. You do to to mm-hmm. get to get any attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I I did learn a lot of really important lessons. You know, growing up on a ranch um, with a big family about you know, working really hard about, you know, my parents really emphasized education. They really emphasized, um, I know my dad and then he, he would say with all these girls, he said, you aren't, you aren't going to college just to find somebody to marry. That's not your purpose. Your purpose really is to go get an education. And so it was really important to, to me. Um, when, and Spencer and I met in high school, so we were, we were, I guess you would call high school sweethearts, no kind way. of. I mean, Spencer like, who? depending. On <laughs> <laughs> what's what's, what's this guy's kidding. name again? Just that guy that I yeah. hang out with. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, of course. For 25, 7, 8 years. <laughs> wow, really good friends. <laughs> you guys should get, like, married or something. We should. We should. You might as well. It's probably that time. Uh, but uh, really, just. It was a big, you know, education was a big deal. I did want to, you know, become an educator. And then, um, but I also did have a desire to have a family. And I I wanted to be at home. I wanted to raise my kids at home. And, and that's just a choice I made. It was a choice, you know, that, that I was able to make. Um, and my husband, I helped, you know, when I was, we were doing things and, having babies and he was going to law school and um, it was just a a crazy time. But every decision that we made, we made as a couple and as a family. So when he, when it was, 
trying to make a decision to, you know, even just be on the little city council in our town of 1,200 people. That was a decision we made together when he decided to run for mayor of our little town. That was a decision we made together. Um, when he decided to be the county commissioner, that was a decision we made together. And all along the way, I'm having experiences in leadership, in PTA, in, you know, my church uh, group. And, you know, I'm, I did a lot with, with youth and young women and, and those were experiences, not necessarily in the workplace or, you know, as, as a paid employee, but they were leadership opportunities that really taught me a lot and helped me with what I do today. So when, again, when Spencer was asked to be the lieutenant governor by the governor, the previous lieutenant governor had resigned and he out of the blue asked us, he was serving in the legislature at the time, had only been there not even a year and just out of the clear blue asked him to be the lieutenant governor, which meant that he had to do that full time. I mean, up until then, all these little things that we were doing were just sort of part time things that he was doing in addition to, you know, his actual full time job. So what I what I want to say, too, is just that. Even though I wasn't working per se as as like a paid employee, I was having experiences and opening myself to experiences in leadership that that really helped me. And so when when we decided to run for governor, that was, again, a decision, a really, really tough decision that we had to make together. And we we did that. And and, you know, it was very prayerful. It was, you know, something that we spent a lot of time making sure was the right decision that we, the thing we were supposed to do. And we did it when that doesn't mean that we were going to, we knew we were going to win. It just meant that we, did you win? We, (laughs) well, spoiler, spoiler alert. (laughs) Okay. Good. That comes Uh, to the end of the story. (laughs) But here, you know, so, so these are, these are things that, that we went through and, and just experiences that we had together that helped us to prepare us for the things that we're doing now. And now, you know, it's uh, being the, being the first lady of the state is a weird job because I mean, I'm basically a professional volunteer. I don't get paid <laughs> um, like a salary or anything like that. I, but I have the opportunity and sort of a spotlight to be able to do something that I think is really important and really things that the governor and people in government can't do. I mean, I'm doing these things that, you know, I, I have to fundraise for, for my initiative. And so in order to do the things I'm doing, like I, I have to be a leader in this space to be able to make change. And, and so it's, I, I just would say to people, especially young people, don't discount your experiences, your experiences as, as an SBO are huge. They are going to they're going to be something that you will take with you for the rest of your life no matter what you do. Whether it's, you know, military or you know whatever you choose in school, whether it's religious service, whether it's, you know, employment, whatever it looks like, you guys will have infinite opportunities to be incredible leaders and your experiences right now are preparing you. Well, and I think it's super cool because obviously you and your husband are both doing super important things, but I love the kind of differences you have in your work because obviously Governor Cox is doing a lot of bigger things, but we 
don't get to see that as much. Yeah. We don't get to see him. But for us, you came to our school and it was a lot more personal. And I feel like on not that one is more important than the other, but for like as high schoolers, I feel like your visit meant a lot to to our school and to the students to make it feel more special. So I feel like the work that's done, being done on both ends is really special and important. Yeah, thank you. It, and it really is. And, and visiting schools, especially when I get to do stuff with um, mm-hmm. Unified Sports, it's truly, it's my favorite thing because mm-hmm. I'm completely inspired by you guys, um, by the the students that I meet, by my friends with disabilities. I'm always being inspired by you guys. So what does like a typical like day-to-day routine look like? Because obviously, I mean, I'm sure you deal with some like, you know, like the political aspects and stuff, but whereas it's not the same, like what it, what is, what does your everyday look like, especially for your, you know, running your initiatives and your programs and stuff? Yeah, I can pull up, you can see my calendar and it'll make you a little bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me tired. I only look one day a day at a time. Yeah, I don't know but, how you do that. I mean, oh, that's crazy. I can, I mean, just like a day in a life, on Monday, we, the governor's team was doing what we we're calling a 360 tour, which is really getting out in the community and visiting with leaders, visiting with just everyday people, visiting with schools. And so on Monday, we were in Utah County. And so what what my team did was sort of we, we came together on some of his events and the, the governor's team events. And then I actually did a few on my own. So... So it was, you know, leaving leaving the house at, you know, seven thirty eight in the morning. Um, I visited BYU's uh, education department to figure out how we can um, prepare our educators for the students and the issues that you're dealing with now so that so that they'll be better teachers, better prepared. So we, we were talking to them and asking them what they were doing. Uh, we visited I, three different schools. We visited the UVU uh, education department doing the same thing. Um, I had a unified sports event. So I was pretty much all on Monday. Wow. This is all, I was like thinking, okay, this is the week. Yeah, right, so, up to today. And so we booked it out. I think Spencer had like eight different town halls between schools and teachers. We And then, you know, at the end, he and I both did one with, with teachers where we let them ask us questions and, you know, talk to, to educators to see what, what – their issues are so yeah a day in the life is usually we're we're both scheduled out and then we i try really hard to get to my daughter's school to get her from skyline after school and he takes her in the morning and so we just try to do it that way and i have a scheduler and he has a scheduler and (laughs) it all comes together well that's that's way cool i think that's so awesome you can balance your schedule like that but I just realized something. Your daughter goes to Skyline, and we beat their ultimate Frisbee team. So oh, rub it in. That's rub it kind in. of embarrassing. <laughs> yes, I play ultimate Frisbee, yes. and we beat them in state. But it's, right, you know. So that's only a little bit embarrassing. That's okay, the important okay. thing. I, can I get mean, our, our women's soccer did just take state. So there's that. So did ours. Oh, Sorry. hey. So, different, yeah, different regions, different uh, classifications. I guess we're both good now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so do like do your kids I mean obviously they see that you're super busy so like do they do they like the fact that you guys are like super involved like this or like 
Is it something they don't like or, you know, how do they how do they kind of feel about it? I don't know. That's a good question for them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a change for sure. I mean, I've been a stay at home mom for 23 years. So certainly my being involved, this involved and this busy is a change for them. Um, Again, we try to those when I talk about scheduling, we're, you know, last night we were at my daughter's orchestra concert. So these are. These are on our schedule. These are things that, sh- that we're working with. Um, my three boys are all in college. So I think they, you know, as long as when they call, I can either step out of my meeting or call them back later with whatever issue they're dealing with at, at school. Um, as long as I can, I'm trying really hard to be present for them. Um, I think for the most part, they're they're pretty cool with, with the way things are going. Um, they don't love politics, mm-hmm. and they prefer just not to be involved in the political stuff, which we have never involved them in. I frankly don't love politics myself because right now it's just – it can be really gross. And I think that's what I see a lot of exciting um, future. I see a, an exciting future with you guys because I think you guys are different. I think – your generation sees it differently. You came in here and just talked about kindness. You talked about connecting with people. And frankly, there's a lot of adults in the public sphere right now that are not modeling what you're talking about. And so I'm excited to see when you're the leaders, because I feel like we are going to have a more kind, loving, inclusive society when you're there. Well, thanks. We appreciate that. No pressure. No, I was (laughs) going to say, when Liz becomes the first uh, woman president of the United States. (laughs) All without a phone. All without a phone. All without a phone. It is possible, guys. (laughs) I I will be voting for you, Liz. Yeah, of course. know that. But only if you you don't have one. Yeah, only if you don't have a phone. If you have Instagram, it's over. over. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can trust you. (laughs) Makes you kind of shady, but you know. All right. Well, well, thank you for joining us today and, and, you know, letting us on your podcast as well. We really appreciate it. And, you know, I feel like we learned a lot today. Would you guys, would you guys say so? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I will end uh, this podcast with saying the thing that I always say, and it's um, thanks for being a friend. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.